We are in week three of a sermon series that I believed was absolutely supposed to start our year off, and I'm hearing so much positive feedback from so many of you of just how much these messages are resonating, and I'm hearing some of y'all getting a little donkey up in your faith. Come on, if that's you, let me hear you shout, give give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Some of you are like, what does that mean? That's okay, that's on week one of this message. I'll catch you up where we're at. But what what donkey faith is, is really, I've been calling it a form of faith with fortitude, faith with grit, faith with bite, faith with stubbornness that no matter what the world throws at me, come on, you can have all this world. Just give me Jesus, and I'm holding on to Jesus no matter the pressures. And so I'm going to jump more into that in just a minute, but I do want to highlight two things real quick for you to keep in mind what's coming up. Next week is going to be a powerful week. It is our five-year birthday. Come on. This is a great opportunity to invite your friends to join us, invite family members. Um, We're going to have cold brew. We're going to have donut wall and celebration. We're going to have some amazing things planned for the kids. We have a powerful experience planned, and we have so many uh, amazing things happening. I'm going to share a little bit uh, for about five, ten minutes next week on what has happened in 2023 so we can celebrate, and then I'm going to share some fresh vision for what God's got in store because God's got more. Come on, somebody give God a shout of praise. And so that's next week. Also, um, uh, our marriage conference is coming up two weekends from now. And so I really want you to start signing up. We doubled down this year and we invited an amazing, uh, some amazing authors as well as successful podcasters on marriage to come in town. We're flying them in from Arizona and I'm not going to want you to miss this. More importantly, I want you to help us fill this room with not just people from Lyft, but invite people from anywhere. I don't it doesn't matter whether they're church, uh, they go to a church somewhere else, or they're not in church at all. People are looking for hope in their marriages, and they are looking for answers. And so it's a one-day investment just from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and so it's not all day long. But I really want to encourage you. We have brand-new invite cards we'll give you as you leave. Invite someone. Think about two or three couples that are on your mind. Maybe they're about to get married. Maybe you know that they're going through some tough times and you don't know what else to tell them because you've talked to them over and over again, tell them to sign up for this. And by the way, it's not just for married people. If you uh, want to be married, if you're soon to be married, if you want to prepare yourself to be married, or if you're back on the market, baby, and you're going to be married again, come on. It's open to everyone, and this is going to be a great opportunity to invest in relationships, all right? We are excited about that, and I truly just can't wait for that first. Saturday in February for this event. Well, let me jump into today's message. We've been spending three weeks in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. If you've got your Bible, you can go there with me. I'm going back to Numbers chapter 22. I'm getting to the portion right before a talking donkey. If you haven't been with us, this section has two men, both starting with the letter B. We got uh, King Balak, who is in uh, in evil, uh, worldly, 
uh, ruler of the Moabites, and so he's just a, he's just a good guy. I, I don't know if he's uh, evil through and through, but he's not a follower of Jesus. He's not a follower of God. And so he, he represents the world, a leader in the world, powerful in his own right, King Balak. And then there's a sorcerer, a, a, div, a diviner. Um, his name is Balaam. And he, he looks like he talks to God. At times, I think he gets his radar tuned in just correctly where he picks up the God frequency. But this story can be confusing because at times it seems like he talks about uh, to God. But nowhere else in the Bible does it call Balaam a good guy. Nowhere else in the Bible does it call him a prophet. In fact, it does nothing but denounce his nature for the rest of our Bible in the six other places he's mentioned. So we get the impression that he's more like a... a, 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 a maybe more like a Buddhist who has multiple gods, polytheism, and, and he's tried to speak to multiple gods, and every so often he gets his radar right and he talks to the one true God, and that happens in Numbers chapter 22. And God gives him an opportunity to connect with the king of all kings. And so uh, Balak is scared that the nation of Israel is going to take over them, and so he sends uh, uh, his servants to hire the best sorcerer, Balaam, to come and curse the nation of Israel so they don't wipe them off the map. And so they come and they ask Balaam to come and Balaam seeks God's voice and he hears the king of all kings says, do not go, do not curse. It's very simple, two-line uh, uh, edict. Don't go, don't curse. So he sends them away and King Balak doubles down and is like, no, we're, there's no way we're going to win against the nation of Israel unless you get him to come. So we're going to pick up right there. It's before the talking donkey, but it's after the first invite. Let's look, starting in verse 15 of Numbers chapter 22. It says, then Balak tried again, and this time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. This is a man who knows how to operate in the, in the worldlyism. Like, he understands, if he didn't come for my secretary, send my vice president. Like, if he didn't respond to my cupbearer, send, send my most elite people. Send my celebrities. Go ahead, go ahead and send the ones that he'd go, oh, these people are showing up for me now. Like, they're up in the ante. Before you went in a horse-drawn wagon, send the limo this time. Like, you know, lavish him with praise. Get the, uh, get the boy bands out there to usher him in. I don't care what it takes. Just get him to come. Verse 16, they went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what Balak, son of Zipper, says. Please don't let anything stop you. I think when Balak told his servants, here's what I want you to tell him. I think he said, I want you to wink whenever you say don't let anything. Like, don't let anything whatsoever. I got resources. I'm going to hook you up. You're going to be a wealthy person. Your paycheck's going to be fat. Don't let any concern whatsoever stop you. From coming to help me, I will pay you, wink again when you say this, very well, <laughs> better than anybody else could do, and I will do whatever you tell me. Isn't this what most of us want in the world? We want the world to offer us everything. 
And I love, I, love, I love what the worship team said. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. That's the, that's the only thing I really want. You're offering me influence. You're offering me clout. You're offering me positions. You're offering me a fat paycheck. Just give me Jesus. And he says, he says um, uh, but Balaam responded to Balak's messengers. Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. That's a great answer, except most theologians believe what he was doing was priming King Balak of his hiring price. I understand you got a palace full of gold. Even if you gave me all of that. Uh, some of you who've done negotiations before or, or bought a house before or sold a house before, you know how you, you throw it on an extreme end thus to send a message like it's going to take closer to that. I don't care if you gave me everything you've got. Wink back when you say that to King Balak. It's going to take everything. I still couldn't. I, I still couldn't go against God. Verse 19, but stay here one more night and I'll see if the Lord has anything else to say. I'll see if he's changed his mind. And I think this is the part that's trouble because many of us can identify with this. We've heard God say no. Oh, we've heard God clearly on the direction to go, but we don't want that to be God's answer. We want the payout of other things. So we're willing to go back into the prayer chamber and see if God's changed his mind a little bit. That often happens in our cases during offering time. God, I'll give you uh, uh, all in the savings account if you want to. How much you want to give? And then you go, oh, God, no, that wasn't you. Uh, no, no laughter? That's, that's uneasy? Because we, we've done that before. And like, that must be the enemy wanting us to give that much. <laughs> I, I've done that before. Anything else where like God said go and you're like, I ain't going there. Jonah said that before. I ain't going to the Ninevites. And I think he's in trouble here because he wants God to do differently than God's already said. And it says in verse 20, that night God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them. But do only what I tell you to do. So the next morning, Balaam got up, settled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. I'm so glad that in this uh, 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 series of, of chapters, so many of you have inquired this question that I want to wrestle with today. And that is, did God change his mind? Like, it seems at times that God's dichotomous. Don't go, don't curse. Okay, you can go. I'm so mad at you for going. <laughs> it's just like, where's God at in this? And I get why the text could be a little bit confusing, but I want to explain what's really going on here because I think it'll speak a message to us today about if God's changed his mind. But before I do, this passage reminds me a little bit of a Boudreaux joke I once heard. Boudreaux's got his favorite donkey, Bessie, that he was traveling along with in, in, a, in his truck and trailer one day. And he was going down the road and a car swerved in his lane. And he had to swerve, throwing the trailer one direction and his favorite donkey, Bessie, into the ditch on one side. And he got thrown into the ditch on the other side. And, and, and they were both in terrible shape. He, he couldn't move. He was just paralyzed in that, in that ditch, just so thrown off. But he could hear his favorite donkey, Bessie, just moaning and groaning from the the other side of the ditch and he tried to call out to her 
So, so when the first responders first showed up, it was a police officer. Uh, officer Thibodeau showed up to the scene, and Im- immediately when Thibodeau showed up, he could hear the moaning and groaning from the donkey, and he knew he, she must be in terrible shape. So he went over to her, and he heard the moaning and groaning. He could just see instantly that she wasn't going to make it. So, so he pulls out his revolver, and he, and he puts her out of her misery, shooting her right into the forehead. And so now Boudreaux finds himself in a courtroom, and the prosecuting lawyer says to him, Boudreaux, did you or did you not say when the officer asked you, are you okay? You said, I'm okay. Did you or did you not? And Boudreaux said, I'd like to please explain my case. You see, I was thrown in one ditch, and my favorite donkey, Bessie, was thrown in the other ditch. The prosecutor said, I, I didn't ask you for all those details. I just asked you, did you or did you not respond to the officer? I'm okay. When they asked you if you're okay, he said, see, my favorite donkey, she was in a whole lot of pain. And when he saw that, he shot her right in the forehead. And he said, I'm not asking for any details. Did you not say you're okay? He said, but, but what I'm trying to explain is, once he shot her, he walked across the street, gun still in his hand. He looked at me, and I was in a whole lot of pain. And he asked me, are you okay? Now, what would you say to that? Come on. <laughs> See, you can't quite discern the intentions of a man who just shot your favorite mule, okay? Today, we're talking about the intentions of the heart and trying to explore the intentions of another's heart, most importantly, in the intentions of your own heart. And we've discussed some deep theological concepts lately. We've talked about sovereignty. We've talked about omnipotence not too long ago. And today I want to talk about omniscience. It's a quality trait of God that God knows all. God knows all. You cannot fool him. You can fool each other, but you can't fool him. You can oftentimes fool yourself but you cannot fool him. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. It's a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. So we can oftentimes fool our neighbor, we can oftentimes fool ourselves, but the heart is deceitful above all else, and we are not fooling God even when our motives are off, uh, much like what's going on with Balaam. And so last week, we addressed the question, do I trust God? This week, I want to ask the question, does God trust me? Would you pray with me, God? I pray that you make us into a people that you trust. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's look at a verse that changes everything. Look back at Balaam, verse 21. It says, so the next morning Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. This one verse tells us two things that we should take note of. Number one, it tells us the motive of Balaam's heart. Let me explain something to you. Balaam is a successful sorcerer at this time. He is being offered paychecks that are probably six or seven figures. 
If you make six or seven figures, you don't drive your own car. If you make six or seven figures, he has servants. And the king has servants. And it would have been considered culturally beneath Balaam to saddle up his own donkey. So what we are gaining is Balaam had been so excited that God said, you can go, but you can't say whatever you wanted, that he couldn't sleep that night. He was so excited about the paycheck, he was blinded by his own heart, that he woke up at the crack of dawn, and before his servants could get his own ride ready, he's saddling up his own donkey. In other words, his heart is exposing him. His heart is lying to him. He is saying... I'll only do what God says to do. But his actions are going, oh, oh, I'm so excited about what this could mean for me. I'm so excited about what this could mean for my career. I'm so excited about what it could mean for my family, my lineage. Come on, can you think of all the good things? And he is saddling up his own donkey, even though there are servants watching him all around. You can read the story of him riding with the talking donkey. There's servants everywhere, and yet he's saddling up his own donkey. You see, many Christians are infected with the same spirit of Balaam, and it concerns me sometimes. We like the appearance of godliness, but we still love the wages of wickedness. In fact, Scripture says in 2 Peter, these Christians, they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. In other words... I love God, I just love my wickedness too. I love God, I just love my sin too. Have you ever been in a place where I love God, I just love my porn too. I love God, I just love my gossip too. I love God, I just love my, my, my own ways too. I love God, I just love getting drunk more too. I love God, I just love people's approval more too. In other words, it's not that I don't love God, I just love my sin too. In fact, in a lot of ways, I love my sin too much. It's called the spirit of Balaam in the New Testament. This heart of, you look very godly. And most of the readers will say, look how Christian this person looks. Yet in your heart, one paycheck one payoff, one career advancement, one, one, one night with that person, and you'd sell it all for a bowl of soup. And he's saying, come on, that the motive of Balaam's heart was exposed in this moment. The second thing that this one verse says is also the hopes of God's heart is exposed in this. Listen to God. Did God change his mind? Well, no. Balaam's actually going to prophesy the very truth just two chapters later when he's talking to the Israelites. He says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not a human, so he does not change his mind. So I get it why many have asked, because I've asked it too. God says don't. God says yes. God says he's angry that he does. Which is it? Is God changing his mind? No, he's actually showing off his own heart, which is I so want to partner with my people. I so hope to trust in my children that I'm willing to take a shot at something I don't even desire. I shared in the first time. Don't go, don't curse. But I so want to trust my people. It's like a parent having a teenager asking you if they can go to this event or not. And the parent thinks, I so 
hope and want to trust my child that I would give them the permission to go. But it comes down to the question of not, do I trust them or not? And by God saying, okay, just don't say the wrong things, he is like a father saying, I so want to trust you. So let's try it. But seeing him wake up at the crack of dawn and saddle up his own donkey told God, I cannot trust him. I want to trust him, but if I don't put an angel in front of him with a sword, he's going to do more damage to himself than if I didn't stick an angel in the way. It's God saying, I so want to partner with you. I so hope in you. I so desire for you. I so have big plans for you, and I want to trust you. But if I can't trust you, before you walk into your own demise, I will send a messenger that stands in your own way to, to slow down your own pace. In fact, write this down, and this is a surreal message right here. You can be in the right place, yet God can't trust the motives of your heart. You need to let that one sink in. Some of you are like, I feel like this is the right person, but it just doesn't feel like the right time. God's saying, you can be in the right place, but God still can't check. He can't trust the motives of your heart. You're like, I feel like this this is the right job, or I feel like I've prepared myself for this opportunity, yet the opportunity doesn't come. And, And sometimes God's trying to wait till he can trust us because it's a two way street. And we got way more work to do trusting in God because God has proved himself trustworthy. But do you know God's also looking for us to prove ourselves trustworthy? God, you can trust me. Even if I'm tempted, even if I'm teased, even if I'm enticed like Samson was with Delilah, I'm going to be a man or woman of integrity and I will not give in. I will walk with you even if I have to give up my own paycheck. So can God trust you is what we're talking about. And I want to let you know that you can turn it all around. Look at the life of Paul who used to be Saul in the New Testament who killed Christians. And yet in 1 Timothy he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me, say this next word with me, trustworthy. He considered me trustworthy even though I used to blaspheme him. In other words, I don't care how dark your past has been. I don't care how bad you've screwed up. We can become someone God can trust too. And when we do, God's eager to partner with. God's saying, you're the messenger I was looking for. I want to use you. I want to do something through your life, and we can become trustworthy. Tell your neighbor, we're going to do this. Come on, here's how to become someone God trusts. Three ways to become someone God trusts. Number one, get honest with yourself. Get as brutally honest with yourself as you possibly can be. We recently had a new dream teamer come to our staff meeting to talk to our our, our team about his experience walking with God because he said, if you asked me 12 months ago or if you asked me 18 months ago, am I right with God and are my motives right, I would have told you, yes, they're all right until uh, he stripped my job from me, he stripped my income from me, he stripped my paycheck from me, and I went through a form of the wilderness and I hoped to be like an, uh, an Israelite coming out of Egypt full of hope and promise knowing if God busted me out, God's going to take care of me but he said in my case I sadly failed becoming one of the bickering Israelites just going the wilderness is too hard let me go back to Egypt let me go back to slavery and he said 
you need to get honest with yourself and ask yourself two big questions. In what have I placed my confidence? In his case, he said, I placed my confidence in my job title. Or when I said, yeah, I'll give that up and change careers, I placed my confidence in my savings account. <laughs> Look what I did. I saved this up. I'm going to be all right. I placed all my confidence in things not of God, thinking I placed it in God. But he asked, in what have I placed my confidence? In what have I placed my hope? See, we got to get a donkey-type faith that puts our confidence in God and God alone and not in anything else because when the culture tries to threaten to cancel you unless you concede, will you be like Balaam who just goes along with it or will you be like a burrow who, 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 who would rather be beaten than to become something that he, than to defy God himself? I tried to practice how to say burrow. I'm going to say burrow like an American. I think it's supposed to sound like burrow and I'm supposed to roll my R's but I don't know how to roll my R's. And so the person who told me how to actually say burrow sounded way better saying burrow. But it's a type of donkey. And I got to ask you because it, it's got an alliteration. Are you a Balaam or are you a burrow? Burrow. Come on. Are you Balaam? Are you just going to go along with the plans or are you going to say, I will not cross that angel. I will not cross God no matter the paycheck. When a boyfriend or girlfriend puts pressure on you to take it further, will you be Balaam or will you be a burrow? When, when, when you have the opportunity to cheat, will you be Balaam or will you be a burrow? When society's trends say this is the new normal, will you be Balaam or will you be a burrow? Come on. We, we need to look at Romans 12 too that says don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And so when the world says this is the new normal, do we just go, okay, this is the new normal. I'll go along with it. Proverbs says, like a, like a cow headed to the slaughter. At our own despair, we do that sort of thing when we just go along with it. Somebody say, do not conform. Say, be transformed. In fact, take a picture of this, and this is what this dream teamer said. What I have confidence in is what I place my hope in. So it matters to answer, what do I have confidence in? Because what I place confidence in is what I place my hope in. What I place my hope in is what I worship. And what I worship is where I root my identity. See, we can mistakenly worship our own job, work up, worship our own financial sensibility, worship our marriage, worship our children, worship our family. We can worship all kinds of things. We can worship our paycheck. We can worship our, our degrees. We can worship our past. But we need to realize what is my confidence truly in. Number two, if it's not in anything other than, if it's in anything other than God, number two, repent. See, Balaam actually would repent with the angel. Oh, I did wrong. I should never have gone. I'm so sorry. But we can tell he never allowed his heart to change. In other words, Scripture teaches us there is a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. The difference is this. Worldly sorrow goes, oh, crud, you caught me. And I'm so sad you caught me. But I'll do it again if I knew you wouldn't catch me. So I'll try to be sneakier, I'll try to be wiser, I'm not really sorry I did it, I'm just sorry you caught me. Because I didn't want it to go public, and I didn't want anyone else to think bad of me. The difference between worldly sorrow, that one, and godly sorrow is, I'm sorry that I've become that. 
I can't even believe I've stooped to this level. This is not who I wanted to be. I need God's help getting out of this place. And you could be stuck in a rut today. You could be stuck in some sort of perpetual sin today. And I want to tell you that if you express that godly sorrow, God knows exactly where you're at. And he doesn't call you a failure that you screwed up again. Because if there's a godly sorrow, God says, I see you. I see that you're trying to lean on me. I see that you're trying to get uh, into a different place today. It's just those who are like, oh, I'm sorry I got caught in the first place. That God doesn't honor that kind of sorrow or in fact more importantly we don't change our heart doesn't change revelation 2 verse 14 says this there are some among you who hold to the teaching of balaam who taught balak to entice the israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality this is how we know balaam's heart never changed because when balaam realized i can't get the payout by cursing them from the mountaintop but I could come up with a creative backdoor way to get the same money if I tell you to get your fine women to go marry their men because they have been covenanted not to marry them. And so if you will entice them, or if you get them to go against their covenant of purity, this is the same thing they tried to get Daniel to do. This is the same thing they tried to get Samson to do. They realize God's people who walk in purity cannot be defeated. So help them defeat themselves. And by the way, for that consultation fee, you could give me the same amount of money as the sorcery fee. His heart didn't change. He, he repented for getting caught, not seeing an angel. But he didn't allow his heart to change from wickedness and still was looking at self-centeredness. Romans 1.32 says, as Paul described of people, they know God's justice requires that those who feel these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. That's the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Can you feel that the sin you and I have committed, it means death. It means hell. It means punishment. Our God is a just God. It is Jesus Christ who said, I, the innocent, will swap places with the guilty. And I will experience the wrath the punishment deserves. Their punishment. My punishment. And you can hang me on a cross so that the guilty has now become innocent. And it's those of us who realize my sin is deserving of death and my God is deserving of highest glory because I can't believe he would want a sinner like me. I can't believe he would die for a sinner like me. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross and if that inspires anybody other than me to give them praise. Give them praise today. So we repent of anything we put our confidence in other than God. And then the band's going to join me as we do number three. Develop godly habits. Develop godly habits. If you've ever broken someone's trust before, the fastest way to get it back, and by the way, that's not a fast process, but the fastest way to get that back is consistent behavior. That I consistently know who this person is, and they, they are consistent with who they say they're going to become. They're consistent with their sorrow. And in the same way, we too must have consistency. Look at Luke 19, verse 17. Great work because you've been, say this word with me, trustworthy. Say that word with me. Trustworthy in this small job, I'm making you governor of ten towns. In other words, God's saying, I'm looking for trustworthy people. 
I'm looking for consistent people. I'm looking for people who mean what they say on Sunday, even on a Monday. I'm looking for people whose character and behavior line up with the words they say, whose heart is not deceiving them, but their heart is completely exposed that they're a member and follower of me. And so here's six ways you could be consistent today, and I'm going to rattle some of them off, but I want you to listen keenly because I believe one or two of them will probably get really loud to you, and I would say start there. Number one, solicit accountability. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to get out of that sin on your own. Stop saying, I'm going to fix this. Stop saying, I'll, I'll make this right. Whenever, whenever I make this right, I'll tell somebody else about it. That's the exact lie Satan wants to keep you in. Because you're in isolation and you're thinking you're the only person who's ever had this problem before. Can I tell you, I used to be addicted to porn. Before I met my wife, I was addicted to porn for so many years. And then I met Jesus and I wanted to come clean and I wanted to get it right but I spent about another 18 months just 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 trying to do not even 18 months I just spent a number of months trying to do it myself because I knew everything inside of me says tell somebody else tell my pastor in secrecy just tell him in discretion but I just could not bear what their opinion of me might be and so I held it to myself as I tried to fix things and I cannot tell you that the moment I told my pastor a he did not judge me and B it's like the, the grip of sin fell off immediately. Guys, I've been, I haven't touched porn or looked at porn again in 20 years. 20 years of sobriety. You can have that too. That was by the power of Jesus, not by good effort, because it's everywhere today. It's literally everywhere today. And so you're not going to do it alone. Solicit accountability. Find an armor bearer who says, I got your back and you got mine. Ask me tough questions. I have three accountability partners and they ask me tough questions. You want to know one of the best questions to tell your, armor, your accountability to say? Ask me this once a week. What question are you hoping I don't ask you today? Let that sink in. Tell them, I give you permission to ask me. What question were you hoping I would not ask you today? Start going, oh, come on. Luke, uh, number two, choose righteous living. I read this in, in this week's reading. If you're reading along with me, you did too. Psalm 15 says, Oh Lord, who may lodge in your tent? Who may dwell continually in your holy hill? He who walks in integrity, he keeps his word even to his own disadvantage and does not change it for his own benefit. Walk righteously. You say, even if it means destruction for me, I'm not going to give up my integrity. The child, um, oh, I wrote this down. The child that we know will do the right thing is the child we trust with more things. If you're a parent, you get that. Come on, if you trust your child, you open up more to your child. How much do we want God to trust us? How much does it matter if you say, God, you can trust me? Number, number three, begin to pray daily. Here's an awesome prayer I learned when I first learned how to pray. Pray this prayer. God, make me into someone you trust. And then be quiet. If you spend one-on-one -on -one time with God and you say, God, make me into someone you trust. And then be quiet. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just start bubbling up this or that 
here, we're going to make this tweak. We're going to make this change. He does it in a loving way. He loves us gently. He, 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 but, but he still is always changing us. Number four, start tithing. Where your treasure is, there your heart also is. So if our heart is deceiving above all else, let's put our heart in the right place practically. Luke uh, 16 says, If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? So God is saying, you want to gain my trust? Let me see if I can trust you when I provide for you. Let me see if I can trust you when I've blessed you. Number five, prioritize Sundays in church. I don't want to pick on anybody who's on live stream today. If you're traveling, if you couldn't get here because of the weather, if you're out of town, I, I get that. If you're not feeling well, I get that. But if you can get here, it's time to prioritize being in the church. The family unit needs to understand, we go to church on Sunday. Come, come difficult times, we go to church on Sunday. If it's a bad week, we go to church on Sundays. If it was a good week, we go to church on Sundays, and we praise our God. And children, you're going to hear about the God that I worship too, who's in worship too. Come on, I'm knocking things over back here. It's so good. Number six, as I close, join a small group. No one gets healthy alone. Next week, we start a new semester of small groups. In fact, you can scan this QR code and you can start shopping for a small group even right now. But join a small group because no one gets healthy alone. And it's time for you to join some other people you may not know yet and let God melt you together as God has done so many times again and it brings freedom. So let me, let me pray over you right now if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes and bowing your head. God, we give you all glory. We give you all might. We give you all strength. Father, if there's anyone here under the weight of shame and regret, it's time for us to go all in with you. You hold up your end of the bargain. It's time for us to bring ours to you, Father. We're sorry for our sins. We, we know that you're the God who forgives a thousand generations. And so in Jesus' name, I pray that you speak to us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in this place and you hear, understand my voice, if you're online and you know today, I need to go all in with God. I need to hold up my end of the bargain. I need to bring God my sin. And you don't have to disclose to me what it is, but, but just by the posture of your heart, just saying, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to get free today. I'm going to ask God to forgive me and I'm going to give my life to him today. If that's you, I won't call you down, embarrass you, but I don't want you to be embarrassed to go all in with God today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real quickly and say, Pastor, that's me and I give him I give it all to him I go all in with him today I see so many hands if that's you online right in the chat that's me too come on everybody in this church I want you to pray out loud with those who raised their hand as we confess today let's say Jesus I give you my life I know I've made mistakes I'm so sorry for my sin and I ask you to forgive me today wipe them away today I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and when He died on that cross, He died to give me freedom. So I receive a fresh start because of what you did. Thank you, Jesus. You are amazing, Jesus. I honor you, Jesus, and I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Come on, can we make it loud for the number of people who gave their life to Jesus today?